well, my name is Esther, and it is truly always a joy and privilege to get to look into God's Word with you all. I'm excited to do that this morning. We're going to do something a little different as we start today. I'd like you to think of some care or concern that's on your mind right now, some frustration or some obstacle. And this could be something for you, it could be something for this church, for your family. Whatever it is, imagine that you're taking it right now and you're setting it down right beside you. We'll come back to it, but first we're going to look at a story. We're in a series entitled Yesterday, Today, and Forever, in which we're studying great actions of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. And today we'll be looking at the story of the Battle of Jericho, which the author of Hebrews sums up in just one sentence. Let's read that sentence from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Now, this is kind of a strange way to sum up a battle because there's no actual fighting mentioned. But if you read the story in Joshua chapter 6, what you'll find is something similar. The entire chapter describes the lead-up to the battle, and the actual fighting gets just one short verse at the end. The story is intentionally told that way because the point is not the people's brilliance in action. The point is that God is the one who fights the battle for them. And what the Israelites did was obey. The focus is on their obedience as an act of faith. Today, we'll look at what Jericho shows us about obeying in faith by pulling apart this short verse in Hebrews to examine the two aspects of the Israelites' obedience that it highlights. First, we'll look at the encircling of the walls. What does all of that marching show us about what we do to obey? The takeaway there is worship at the walls. Secondly, we'll look at the seven days. What does that time period show us about how we are to obey? And the takeaway there is showing up. So what and how? First, what is it we do in order to obey in faith? Let's dive right in and read the story of Jericho from Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. All right, here right at the start, we have the problem. The Israelites are on a mission to enter the promised land, and the first obstacle they face is the city of Jericho. Now, Jericho sat on an oasis in the middle of a hot plain with nothing else in sight. They're barricaded in, and facing them is Joshua, a brand new leader, and the Israelites, who are actually recovering from minor surgery, because just before this, they celebrated the Passover and then got circumcised to renew the covenant. Reading on, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. 
And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So God's first words here are kind of strange. See, I have given. We were just told what Joshua is seeing, an impenetrable wall. And yet God is saying he has already, past tense, given them the victory. But that contradiction between what they see and what they're being asked to believe, that contradiction is precisely the point. Believing in victory when the odds look good isn't faith, right? Faith is believing when the odds seem impossible. And that is what God is asking Joshua to do, to see his struggle with eyes of faith instead of fear. And as evidence of that faith, God asks the Israelites to obey some instructions. And those instructions are kind of weird. In case you're wondering whether it would have made more sense back then, the answer is No, it wasn't customary to conduct siege warfare with a marching band. It would have seemed just as absurd to them as it does to us. What would have made sense is if God had handed them a ladder. Back then, barricading behind walls was not uncommon, and ladders were one of the strategies used to deal with it. In case you're wondering, as I was, catapults weren't invented until much later. Here's a depiction from that time of the ladders that were used to get over walls. But instead of this, you know, instead of handing the people some ladders, God tells them to go get their trumpets. So what's up with that? There were a few kinds of trumpets in the Old Testament. This one is in Hebrew, the shofar. It was made out of a ram's horn, which, in case you're wondering, can produce different tones but can't play a tune. So I guess it really wasn't much of a marching band. This kind of trumpet had been blown on only two occasions before this one. The second one we'll get to later. But the first was when God appeared to the Israelites at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. We read that when the presence of God descended upon the mountain, the trumpet blast was heard and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. The presence of God eventually moved from Mount Sinai to the Ark of the Covenant, this wooden box of sorts carried on poles by the priests. Now, this Ark is usually kept away from the people in the holiest spot in the tabernacle. But when the people march around Jericho, the Ark marches right there in the middle. So the lineup for the march went like this. At the front were armed soldiers. Then came priests blowing the shofar horns continuously. Then came the Ark, and finally came a rear guard. So if you think about it, what's happening here is a processional recreation of Mount Sinai. You have the presence of God and the sounding of the trumpets all right there in the middle of the people of God. What do we call it when God's people gather together to hear some instruments being played while focused on God's presence? We call it a worship service. See, instead of ladders, Joshua gets trumpets. Instead of military strategy, Joshua gets instructions for a worship service. The Israelites are to capture the city in what is basically an extended act of worship. Obeying in faith means walking in worship at the wall. It means trumpets over ladders. A ladder provides an easy escape. 
a trumpet calls us to stay at that wall and look for God's presence there instead. A ladder gives us faith in what we can understand. A trumpet challenges us to have faith in God's promises when we don't understand. A ladder is about what we do to get where we want to be. A trumpet is about who we are becoming so we can grow into the kind of people God wants us to be. Recently, I injured my back and crossed for a time into this world of constant pain. You know, in medicine, we have all kinds of ways of categorizing pain. Is it dull, sharp, constant, intermittent? How would you rate it on a scale of 1 to 10? These are the questions I ask my patients because they're ladders. They're techniques and strategies to help me figure out how to get them out of it. But in this case, I found there were no ladders. Those categories and techniques weren't helpful because I was living inside a kind of pain that had no quick fix and no known end date. And as I struggled to do even the most basic things, I just felt demoralized and stripped down. During this time, I spoke with someone who lives with chronic pain, and she mentioned a metaphor from a book called Grace Grows Best in Winter by Margaret Clarkson. She said, sometimes pain or suffering makes you feel like you're hedged in. You know, the pain is like a wall of hedges around you. You feel cut off from the world, confined on every side, and your instinct is to try to get out, to always be looking through the hedges. But, she said, the truth is that the hedges cannot shut out our view of the skies. They can't prevent us from looking up into God's face. And in fact, because there's so little else to see, and because we're so desperate, we can even learn to see God more clearly and to know him more truly than others who seem free to live life more fully. At the heart of worshiping at the wall, I think, is that simple motion, looking up from the hedges and walls to God instead, giving him our attention. We could be so desperate for our ladders, for strategies and solutions and timelines that make sense. And there is a place for those things, but God doesn't say to the Israelites, here's a ladder so you can do something to get where you want to be. He says, give me your attention. Remember who your faith is in. Remember who came to your fathers at Mount Sinai. Remember who walked with you as you marched from camp to camp through the wilderness. And remember who it is that promises you victory in this new land. The walk around Jericho was a way of activating those memories and also of proclaiming who they are, proclaiming their identity as they form this new nation. The walk around Jericho was their way of looking not in despair at the walls, but up in faith at God. In doing that, right around their obstacle was their act of faith. What does it mean for you to worship at your walls? What does it mean for us as a church to do that? You know, right now, we're facing a lot of unknowns, and while there's certainly a place for strategizing, this time is also an opportunity for us to have a Jericho moment, to come together and give God our attention, and to ask God, what is it you are showing us about what church is and who we are as your people? 
How can we worship in a way that brings in our past, but also renews our faith in you alone for the future, whatever that may look like? And how is all of this something more powerful done together than alone? You know, God did not have Joshua go alone to circle the walls. And maybe that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, Joshua's name is nowhere to be found. Prior to this, the author of Hebrews cites individuals, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. I mean, he goes right down the genealogy. But here, the author breaks that pattern by pointing not to one person, but to a group of people. Because this kind of obedience and faith, this kind of walking and worship in the midst of our obstacles, this is something we do together. The first thing Jericho shows us is that obeying in faith means walking in worship at the wall. Secondly, what does Jericho show us about how to obey? Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You know, we often picture the walk around Jericho as some kind of marathon, but the circumference of the city was actually only about 0.37 miles, or less than two laps around a track. What made it hard was probably not so much the physical walk as the emotional and mental stamina it took to do it day after day in full view of their enemies and in complete silence because they were to be quiet the entire time. Imagine what that felt like. I mean, day one was probably okay, but by day four, the Canaanites were probably hurling down insults, even objects. The Israelites were probably feeling increasingly ridiculous, doing the same thing with no visible change, not even a crack in the wall. I wonder how many of them started to doubt, to think, God, what are you doing? What is going on here? And yet the Israelites showed up day after day, when it had been long enough for the novelty to pass, for the doubts and opposition to rise. God doesn't ask them to do anything differently on day four than day one. He just asks them to keep showing up. What Jericho shows us is that sometimes the measure of our faith is simply in showing up. I'm sure this shows our age, but my husband likes to talk about how back in college, his friends would get together every Thursday night to watch the next episode of the TV show Friends. And this is where I start hearing the theme song in my head. I'll be there for you. Think about what was going on there, right, when they did this. They were giving up other plans. They were getting together with other people sitting through commercials, no skip ads button you could push back then. They were doing whatever it took to show up together week after week for their entertainment experience. Nowadays, when I stream a TV show, I'm by myself at a time convenient for me, for only as long as I feel like, and ironically, I often spend so much time trying to figure out what I feel like watching, researching the endless options on my streaming platform, that I run out of time and energy to watch anything. We live in a high option, low commitment age. We spend so much time thinking about what we could be doing rather than what we've chosen to do that my friend coined the term FOBO, not FOMO or fear of missing out, but FOBO, fear of better options. 
And technology has changed the landscape of commitment, right? We're used to quick results, postable moments, instant likes. It can be easier to ghost than to follow through on difficult things. All in all, we get less practice at showing up when nothing seems to be happening, at showing up as a way of practicing deep commitment to something worth committing to. And it's especially challenging here in the Bay Area where there are more options than usual and where there is more transience than usual. But think about what the Israelites were doing when they chose to show up at that wall day after day. They were choosing not to rush ahead. They were choosing to trust the process even when the results don't seem quick and coming. They were choosing to bear the cost, to absorb opposition without either responding in kind or running away. They were choosing people over product, choosing to give support to each other and to their leader without demanding immediate results. They do it because in the end, that kind of showing up is an expression of faith in a God who is perfectly capable of working beyond the scope of our senses. God is always working, whether we sense it or not. We see that here in the number seven, because, of course, the seven days here is no accident. In the Bible, seven is the number of perfect completion, and it symbolizes the journey to that completion. In Genesis, it took seven days to complete the creation of the world. Noah takes seven pairs of each animal to complete the ark, then waits seven days in the ark before the rain starts. In Exodus, animals had to complete seven days of life before being used for sacrifice, and so on. Here in Jericho, we've got seven priests blowing seven trumpets for seven days on the seventh day, walking seven times around the city. The number seven occurs 14 times in the chapter, another multiple of seven. In fact, even the timing of the seven days here may be important. If you'll remember, the Israelites have just celebrated the Passover. And back in Leviticus chapter 23, we're told that after the Passover, they were to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt so quickly that there was no time for their bread to rise. And here's the thing about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was the only feast in the entire calendar year that lasted exactly seven days. There is a possibility that the seven-day walk around Jericho coincided with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, an intentional reminder that just as God delivered them from the Egyptians, he is just as much at work now to deliver them from the Canaanites, from the very people jeering down at them this whole time. God's work of completion and the journey towards that completion is all over this story. And it's our story as well. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So even when you don't get what God is doing, even when you feel like you're not getting anything out of it, even when it's hard and you don't feel like it, don't stop doing the things you know God is asking you to do. Don't stop showing up. We've seen today that obeying in faith means worshiping at the wall and showing up. 
It wouldn't really be right to leave the story of Jericho without reading that one line of action at the end. So here it is. It's day seven. And we read, As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. I mentioned earlier that the shofar horns had only been blown on two occasions previous to this one. Once was at Mount Sinai. The other was on the Day of Atonement, described in Leviticus 25. The Day of Atonement was the one day of the year that someone could go past the curtain to the holiest place in the temple to make a sacrifice that would purify all the people from all their sin, and that sacrifice pointed to Jesus. Jesus came into a world that shut its doors to him, and so he was born outside the walls in a stable. Isaiah tells us he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was silent, just as the Israelites were. Hebrews tells us Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. And when his time was complete, he went outside the walls again, this time the city walls, to the cross where he uttered a great cry, and just like the walls of Jericho fell down, the curtain to that holiest place in the temple was torn apart. Jesus made a way for us to enter straight into God's presence by dying in our place for our sins. God's people showed up to worship outside the wall so that when the time was complete, they could give a great cry as God delivered them from their enemies. All of it pointing to Jesus, who with a great cry would one day deliver his people from their sins. One of my favorite movies is Chariots of Fire, which is about an athlete named Eric Little, whom we named one of our sons after. Eric had the conviction that God did not want him to run on the Sabbath, So when he found out that the qualifying heat for the track event he'd trained for was happening on a Sunday, he basically obeyed in faith by laying down a ladder and picking up a trumpet. Against everything that made worldly sense, he refused to run and instead went to a worship service. As the race he was supposed to be running in happens, the movie shows him in church reading from Isaiah. As it turns out, Eric does get to run later in a different race, one he hadn't trained for with surprising results. And even more surprising, perhaps, was his later decision to quit his athletic career to become a missionary in China, where he died in an internment camp during the Japanese invasion at the age of 43. As we close, I'd like to invite you to think back on whatever it was you put down beside you at the start of our time, Pick it back up and hold it before you in your mind. As you think on it, I'll read the same words Eric read that Sunday from Isaiah, and then we'll close in prayer. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. He brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Do you not know? 
Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. God, so often we grow discouraged at our walls. We grow weary of showing up. And we don't know what's happening or when nothing seems to be happening. But God, this is faith. Faith is obeying you. Faith is putting one foot in front of the other at the sound of your trumpet. Because we trust in you, because we know you are working, and because we love you. Give us the perseverance that we need as we do this together. We thank you for your word and for the people who have gone before us, whose actions are like steps for us to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.